Welcome to the Tech Sales Show, where we are dedicated to making you a better tech seller, sharing tried and true sales strategies and answering your questions weekly. Hey, hey, Bobby. What's up, Brian? We are hitting series number 16. Uh, so this series is going to be, it'll be fun. We're going to talk about deals, lessons learned, and we're going to cover this series in terms of the companies we've worked for, because I think that'll kind of help paint the picture of uh, the level of strategy involved in the sale and the type of customer and the size of customer that we worked with. So it'll be fun kind of talking through the deals. I know we've both had some some good wins and some tough losses over the years, and uh, so I think a lot of folks will be able to relate to some of these wins and losses. Yeah, unfortunately, we're going to be able to share a lot of lessons learned that we, uh, mistakes we've made, things that have happened in our deals and in our careers. So hopefully you guys enjoy it. And if uh, you do, let us know and uh, we'll keep doing more of it. Sounds good. All right. So um, probably probably be good to take a step back and talk about how we first got into tech sales. Um, yep. For me, it was, um, I, I got a degree in, in a degree path called Business Computer Information Systems. It's like MIS in a way, but it was done by North Texas. It wasn't a great program. Didn't exactly set me up for success, although maybe it wasn't the school's position to set me up for success. But it it was kind of a degree that was focused on kind of running projects, business projects in IT, but it didn't really give you enough kind of hands-on experience. And the reason I bring that up is because the first my first real job was a company that I started uh like many companies, my last name was incorporated in the name of the business. Um, and that involved me helping small businesses solve IT problems. And usually those problems were really basic things like setting email up on laptops or building a PowerPoint presentation for an executive. Um, but it was focused on small and medium business. And that remains a pretty fertile uh, marketing ground for folks that don't really have a good feel for what IT is or what it can do for their business, or maybe they know what it can do for their business, but they don't know how to harness it or, or work well with it. So it was really my job as, as a owner, operator, sole guy for the company, for, for most of the company, to market to small and medium businesses. So I did a ton of drop-offs. Uh, before drop-offs were cool, I was doing them uh, 16, 17 years ago, years ago. Um, and you're the reason why every business now has a sign that says no solicitation, um, please. Boy, that's the truth. <laughs> that's the truth that we all pay very close attention to. So I, yes. my wife and I would drive, she would drive me around, uh, night after night and I would drop little flyers off door to door. And then during the day when I wasn't working with customers, I was going door to door to door to door. And I, so I think when I think back to that, and like what, what impact did that have on me in tech sales in general? That had a pretty big impact, I think. I I didn't realize what I was doing was prospecting. Of course, it's blatantly obvious to me right now, but I, all I knew is that I needed to I needed to take care of my, you know, new and I was newly married and I needed to take care of my wife and soon to be family and I had a rent to pay. Um, but but it was heavy business development. That was that was at least seventy five percent of my job until the business really got off the ground. What so so heavy, you know, bootstrapping the business, guerrilla marketing um, was was heavy part of the first stage of it, and then cross selling other services was a big piece too. So I would kind of, I'd kind of get in the door at some of these companies, 
and maybe I sold them initially on helping set up some of their laptops for new employees or helping them again build a PowerPoint presentation or really basic IT stuff, nothing really North Texas, the college really helped train me for. Um, but I'd, I'd learn other skill sets like a backup program for them, right? And so I'd kind of start to market these other services to the companies that I'd worked with. So it wasn't a great, you know, big deal running a pursuit team, you know, having a good evaluation plan, but it did get me used to hitting a ton of companies and realizing that these business owners, these same people that we work with today or these senior executives that we work with today are real people and they have real problems that they're looking to solve. And uh, that was an arrow I had. I could help solve a lot of those uh, business challenges with IT for some of these small and medium businesses. Well, you touch on two big, big parts of, of a tech sales job that many of the listeners might take for granted. I mean, there's probably not many listeners that are doing drop-offs today. Um, unfortunately, they're probably doing it a little different and sending emails and hoping to get a reply, which is, is also going by the wayside. That's not going to work uh, in today's tech sales world. And then you talk about cross-selling. That's that's really div dividing and going deep and wide in an account so that you don't lose that account once you're doing business with them. And I still would say it, we narrowly focus too often on the thing that's already on the floor or the software that's already running and just trying to grow that when there are opportunities everywhere for us to help our partners, our friends, our coworkers and grow deals and grow business. Um, two, two really big buckets that you didn't recognize necessarily early on that you were doing those two things, but every tech seller needs to be doing a lot more prospecting and a lot more cross selling. And we say it often to new reps and the younger reps that are listening to the show that the, the bat at bats are what you need more than anything else early on in your career. And that's why we would highly recommend you do something or start something in inside sales. Cause the, the repetition will give you more experience than any other job that you could start with in tech sales for sure. Yeah. You get, you get kind of numbed for better or for worse. You get numbed to the pain that is prospecting. I don't know that really anybody loves prospecting. I've not met that person that loves prospecting. We certainly love the outcome for it, but if by getting into that repetition and, and recognize and then seeing wins from it too, I think that's a big piece when you, when you, I'll never forget. I mean, this was 16 plus years ago. I'll never forget the um, the six phone calls I got the next day after the first set of drop-offs, which validated everything for me, right? Like it validated mm -hmm. me, the, the need, it validated uh, what, again, it wasn't prospecting to me, it was making a living, um, but it validated all that to me. And then, yeah, the cross-selling was was crucial doing some basic website development with uh, with tools like front page, you know, some of the very basic what you see is what you get uh, type tooling to help companies, again, solve problems, fixing printers. And I think what I learned about working with these companies, like the the wins and the losses here, the the losses um, were probably more my time than anything else. I'd, I'd get kind of set in with a, with a small and medium business and I was effectively an hourly worker, right? I was I was effectively a consultant for them. So, you know, I'd get a call or there'd be a challenge that come up, and I would I would I would be pressed into not billing for my time. But that was the only product I had was my time. So I learned to really value that and and not put myself in a situation to where I was burning hours uh, that could be used to 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 produce income, produce revenue for the business. 
that's going to be the problem for many years and decades to come where people are going to want free work. No question. But even, even the, the drop-offs proved that the prospecting found something and, and what that found was the need that they had. Right. So right time, right place has been in sales for decades and will always be there. But your flyer had a message of some sort that told that customer a story that they saw value in and were willing to spend some money to get that value that you were test protesting in your flyer, whether it was, I can make your email work better and I can do a better PowerPoint or we can help you do your business, whatever your business is through it. Those things created a value that these other small business owners wanted to spend money to get and to get help with. And that's no different today on a $10 million sale or a $50,000 add on to a deal. There's got to be enough value seen to be able to have a customer part ways with their money. Yeah, and I think one of the biggest early lessons I got from this, so I, I would work, for whatever reason, I found a niche in, in law firms, and I, I think I like the executives. I like the professionalism of it. I like the nice offices. I They all had to have websites. They're not doing complex transactions, so they didn't need these really, you know, they didn't need big infrastructure, right? They're basically doing the same thing. They're just billing hours. And, and so I kind of, in, in some parts of some cities, I'd kind of cornered the market with the, with the law firms. You know how they're kind of set up in some cities. You'd have a downtown area and there'd be five or six locked right next to each other. And I, I, what I start to kind of get in my belly around sales was it's really fun to win these. And man, what if one of these law firms that I'm not in presently has a website project come up? Because those were the, the websites at the time were the most profitable projects for me. They're very simple. I can build a lot of hours. It was a very visible exterior work product that I could market to future customers. So what I, what I begin to kind of worry about then that I that I worry about today still is who, where are my goods and services uh, valued? What you know when you said right place, right time. Which one of those law firms has a website project upcoming, and they don't even know that I do that. They don't even know my name. They don't have my email address. They don't have my phone number. And that's a principle that still carries with me today in, in large ERP sales and running uh, in our ERP sales organization. Or what prospects are we working with today? What prospects are we not working with today that have no idea we exist? Maybe they think that we're the wrong, they're the wrong size customer. Maybe they think they don't produce enough revenue. Maybe they think we're too cheap. Maybe they think we're too expensive. But the fact is we've not gotten in front of that customer. And it really, I think it's what drives me today still is, 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 a lot of right place, right time is a direct representation of the effort that you put into it. No question. And you just said, you said a lot, but having the, the mindset that you haven't talked to them, you haven't told your story is something that I don't think we're doing collectively as a sales organization slash team slash individuals enough of because we assume they're learning a lot on the internet. And, and I think customers think they can learn everything on the internet. But I would bet, I would bet very few people, even in the consumer realm, can't, who maybe all have Apple iPhones and watches and MacBooks, cannot tell the Apple story or the mission statement that Apple has for their company or their products. Nowhere near as well as an Apple sales rep could do it. I can assure you, a user of Dell Technologies has no idea really what Michael Dell is trying to accomplish for corporate America. Mm -hmm. um, they think of either laptops or they think of storage or they think of software. 
but they don't know what he's doing with VMware containers and Pivotal and how he's trying to rewrite the cloud and enable everyone to do things on any device that hopefully he's probably making and selling. But the story that a Dell Technologies core rep would, would share would be very different than what the Internet's even going to be able to convey. And I think it is something that we've got to do more of, not through email, but through, I don't know if it's drop-offs are the right thing anymore either, but by getting in front of customers, getting in front of prospects and telling those stories because your story is very different uh, than what the website's saying today for your company or your products. And I think it's it's the heavy lifting that we make the money we make to do that, that we need to do more of as reps. Indeed. So uh, how did you first get into uh, IT? Yeah, I think I started similarly, but I went to school and kind of wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And ultimately, if you've listened, you know I was in, in law enforcement. We put the first set of Panasonic Toughbooks in our patrol cars, mounted them on that center console, that center hump that you know sedans used to have in the front of the car. And we had a laptop that we could disconnect and take in somewhere and write reports and it had this little antenna card that came out of it uh, mm-hmm. that was a part of a CDPD network that was very slow. It was nothing more than a 56K modem or maybe 128K modem. For you young kids, that was a very slow network connection. And we were able to do things, and the product that made that possible was something called Citrix. And uh, it was revolutionary back in those days. And this was 1998, 97, 98, 99 where you could have a very slow network but interact with a screen of information that was somewhere else. It was really terminal computing, but with graphics, it was really, really cool. And I was fascinated by what we were able to do because of that technology. And I had a friend who uh, worked at a company that was growing and got interested around the middle of 1999, and Y2K was coming and boy, man, if, if you're, you were born in 2000, you don't recognize any of this stuff. But everyone was very afraid. Computers had never really been accounting for what was going to happen when 9-9 became 0-0. You know, they, they were never using four-digit dates. And in Y2K, everybody was worried about their software and their programs and what were their systems going to do at midnight. Were, were all the CPUs in the world just going to turn off and quit working and tests were showing there were more problems than we had solved for and I had the opportunity because of the demand at that point to leave law enforcement and go work for a Citrix value-added reseller and help them with all their Y2K customers and we all know now that Y2K came and went and it was a a non-event for the most part because people worked so hard with software to fix it but I had a great opportunity and shortly thereafter was was quickly on par with everyone else because so much had changed around 2000 windows changed drastically uh, in both the client version and in the server world and it was easy to catch up with people i I got lucky and started right at the right time Uh, but i was technical in in nature i i was the one fixing systems and building systems and was fascinated by the technology i was not in sales well i should take that back i did not think i was in sales and was very focused on my technology background and my technology chops right um, had the opportunity to technically edit a book uh, in the Citrix world. You can still buy it online for a dollar. I do not get paid for any of that. But, uh, you know, there, there were all kinds of opportunities that kept presenting themselves, and I kept jumping at them from a technology standpoint. And 
I, I really did hate salespeople back in those days. They, I thought they were lazy. I thought they were complacent. You know, as the engineer, I thought they always undersold a deal. And the funny thing is everybody says the same stuff today. It's no different. Yeah. You know, engineering people and technical people hate the salespeople. They think they always play golf and just drink with customers. And it's the, it's a lot more of the same. But in reality, there's a lot of value that those things bring. And it's not quite what they're doing all day, all day long. Um, so I tried to start thinking about how I could help them be more successful. And, and a lot of things I tried didn't work, but a few things I tried did work on like automating statement of work creation and creating these ways to make it easier on them to learn products, et cetera. But what I realized was I was part of the sales team and, and quickly thereafter got promoted and was managing a technical team and was able to teach them all that they were part of the sales team. And, you know, we worked a lot of deals. We had a lot of wins and a lot of losses and we kept trying to get better and get better and I think I got better and smarter in that world and kept growing. And then many sales opportunities presented themselves. But I think the big key was, you know, and anyone listening and anyone listening with an extended team that's struggling with that extended team, you are all salespeople and you all need to enable each other to know the technologies and to sell the technologies and to find the value points that customers will want to part with money to accept and have that value for them. And uh, you, you're probably you probably have more salespeople on your team than you realize. They just don't call themselves salespeople. And through that evolution of those first four or five years in tech, uh, I really do believe I, I became more of a seller than I ever realized. But the big switch was when I went to Microsoft and and became a pre-sales engineer slash consultant and was the one really helping articulate the value of the products, the software that we were selling and ultimately became a sales rep. And so let's jump into like the transition you made from an engineer <clears throat> into being a seller. I know you say you're, you're selling, but it's one thing to sell and support the sales engagements. And then it's another thing to actually to carry the bag and be on the hook for the quota and everything too. Before we do that, let's talk about tech sales lab though. So tech sales lab is a sponsor of the tech sales show. Um, there are really effectively two paths or two programs as part of tech sales lab pathway is built to help get folks that are not in tech sales into tech sales. So if you've got a friend, you got a buddy, you got a cousin that's in all of the kind of work you do and they don't understand like, okay, you work for what company and you, and you sell Microsoft technology or you sell reseller, you know, you resell servers or, or, or laptops, like how do you even get involved in that? And the answer is always, well, well I, I don't know. I kind of just ended up in it and then I got promoted up through what Tech Sales Lab does through the through the Pathway program is to help equip folks that have high aptitude, that are working their tails off. It helps them in a pathway to get into technology sales. And then Bobby, why don't you talk about the uh, master programs? Yeah, so the master programs are all about existing tech sellers and getting them to grow in their career. Um, the course catalog is going to continue to grow, but if you want to be able to read a 10K better, you want to learn how to take the information in 10K and turn it into really pipeline for you and your team. Uh, there's short courses out there. There's some longer courses out there for the first time sales manager in tech. And as we said, the, the catalog is going to continue to grow. And, and there's a third level to it that is called level up sales training. So if you work for a company and don't feel like you're getting actually what you need, uh, to enable yourself to be a better seller or to get your team to where your team needs to be to be a better seller. Tech Sales Lab has opportunities 
and courses that they'll build and customize for your company. And maybe you should ask your manager to bring them in and uh, help your team be a better sales team. Uh, learn more at techsaleslab.com. Uh, sign up for our newsletter. You'll see their logo and you can learn, learn more about them. Sounds good. So Bobby, let's, let's get into it. So t- tell me about the, the transition for you, for you getting going from kind of pre-sales engineering, being more, you know, having the technical chops to transitioning into tech sales. What do you think you did well? What do you think you did poorly with? Yeah, I think, I really think the organization and detail stuff that customers wanted to see proposals, that sort of stuff kind of came natural to me. Mm-hmm. I'm a detail oriented person. Uh, I could, I could put myself in their shoes to read the contract and think, what am I buying here? Am I getting what I, what I said I needed in the first meeting? I would say probably what I struggled with was some of the, I don't know, putting myself in their shoes from an empathetic perspective uh, or some of the emotional intelligence around it mm-hmm. uh, took took no very personally because I, I really did mean the best or was putting together the best solution for them. Um, do you think it's I, because – sorry to interrupt. Do you think it's because I, I, I think we – until you get told no – 50 times as a sales rep, you don't realize you, you, maybe you get desensitized to it in a way and you start to kind of measure and, and read people a lot better and you become less offended about them. Not necessarily. You, yeah. You're not taking it personal because they don't like you or they don't think that you know what you're doing. It's, it's just more about they got you're you're competing against other priorities. And yeah, I think there's two parts of that. I think you're right. And that's probably more, not to dumb it down, but that's more the cliche that most people think about, right? That we do here know enough so we get yep. used to it. But I think there's a maturity level that happens throughout your sales career yes. too where you start realizing like, okay, a million dollars is a million dollars. Like I'm not asking for – and I think what started to change for me and even why I think I'm still very empathetic now to customers saying no and choosing not to give me their budget – is I try to put things in perspective of how many cars, trucks, or houses they are, <laughs> yeah. you know, because you, I'm trying to sell someone three homes, three $333,000 homes. That's a huge decision. We don't just go out and make those decisions without doing our due diligence, which also made me better at the things that I'm really adaptively easy at doing, like the or detail organization. I would, I would really tell those stories through my statements of work and my proposals Mm -hmm. that I know I'm not just asking you for a few hundred bucks. I'm asking you and here's what you're getting and just got really good at putting value point after value point after value point in those documents to where it just made a lot of sense that, man, this is now worth this much money. This is worth three homes. Um, I'm getting this much from the people that are going to be working for me. Um, But early on, I, I hadn't had the experiences, both being told no and then understanding that a million dollars was a million dollars just because I wanted them to give it to my company. I felt a little distant from just how much money that was. And as I had more at bats, more experiences, I realized this is real money. I can't just ask for it and get it. And if everyone remembers, maybe not a lot of people listening, but 2000, 2001, it was pretty easy to sell tech. Yeah. Money was flowing everywhere. And you pretty much could say, I need this. I mean, we did we did some pretty low-end work at $3,200 for two days of work. 
and I was the rookie and they were paying me $200 an hour for my consulting mm-hmm. time. It was, that was not abnormal. And what most people that weren't there don't realize is when nine 11 happened in 2001, man, the game changed. Uh, Wallets yeah. really tight. We can talk about all these ebbs and flows in the economy and the, the crash of 08 and the, 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 the recession of 14, 15. And hurricanes man, in Houston. Hurricanes yeah. and yeah. Katrina and flooding and, and mm-hmm. all the bad things we've gone through. Look, people, it's unfortunate. We're going to have more of the same, more of the same of the good days and more of the same of the bad days. And we just got to find the right balance of, of managing our efforts and our time. But, you know, when 9-11 happened – the world stopped turning from a standpoint of projects quit. No one knew what that was going to happen with their companies. And it was such a quick, you know, it's such a quick stop to the things that were going on that, uh, I matured again, just two short years into my career, uh, so much on what was happening to business that I got, I think I even got smarter and stronger and had more empathy for what money meant and what no meant and that it wasn't personal. And, then this got better at the, the repeating of of running a campaign with a bigger group of people for a common goal that a customer said they needed help with, and they would say yes. And like you said, man, that that was to me so infectious that if I won one deal, I wanted to win the next deal, and mm-hmm. I didn't want to lose. And the the winning was so euphoric for me that I can remember every twenty thousand dollar deal was just amazing. And then I think what happened was I wasn't getting enough of my piece of that, right? I thought, sure. man, I'm doing a lot of this work and I can get in the, and I'm sure there's a lot of engineers out there that feel that way. And there's probably a lot of salespeople that feel that way, but I can tell you as an old owner of a company and being on the other side as well, you know, there's a lot of overhead that I continue to mature and understand and, and realize what office space costs and what a laptop for every employee costs. You know, there's, there's a lot that you don't deserve of that $20,000 deal too, or that $2 million deal. Um, but you, you, you get a big slice of it. Uh, if you're in a tech sales role for a long time, for sure. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I, I, we were, we both did that for a bit and we'll get into that as the series progresses. <clears throat> but you think about, you think about the week that maybe you weren't working or you weren't on a project and, and uh, you weren't having to pay the company back for that salary too. So it, That's right. it is a pretty massive spreadsheet that uh, I feel like you and I did quite a bit of work on in our time in, in professional services over the years. Well, and then all those losses that we, you know, yeah. that we did lose, the company doesn't ever ask us for money back. Mm-hmm. I think if there's one thing I can tell a new tech sales rep or someone who wants to advance their career, you know, you don't get penalized for losing. You, you know, there's a there could be a ten thousand dollar commission check when you win a million dollar deal, but when you lose a million dollar deal, no one takes ten thousand dollars back from you either. So, yeah. you know, whenever you're ready to take that level of risk, then you can start your own company, and it'll change your mind drastically on what fair is at that point moving forward. Sure. So let's um we'll kind of tease ahead to the um upcoming episodes in the series. Let's talk about um the, the other companies we work from worked for over the years um, and kind of how they impact or grew our, our careers and our, and the way we approached opportunities. So for me, from my uh, own running my own small consulting business, I joined a company called soft choice. It was um, we were having a kiddo at the time, our first kiddo. And we thought, all right, this, you know, being a small business owner is great and all, but it'd be nice to have insurance that was dependable uh, and so forth. So I, I, I kind of began 
exploring what I appreciated the most about doing my small business, which was selling. I, I love, you know, to your point, it, it was infectious to win a deal. It was infectious. And I, I kind of fell out of love with delivering the deals that I would win. Um, and then I would start to outsource the deals because uh, I had kind of built a network of folks that could could deliver. And in many cases, they could deliver better than I could. So I, I learned to kind of sell their services and I could, I could mark it up and they could bill for higher rates and it could free my time up to sell even more. But ultimately, I ended up joining SoftChoice. And for those that are not familiar, SoftChoice is a, a large account reseller. So they, they, they inventory items, but they really more depend on distributors, or at least when I worked there, they depend on the distributors who would host these massive warehouses of computers uh, to different technology. I mean, they'd have literally millions of SKUs they could sell companies. Um, so that was kind of my first foray into selling to more mid-sized businesses and large businesses. And I'll talk about in the upcoming uh, episodes here in this series about what that did for me professionally. And it was really, uh, I really appreciated that time. And I learned so much from folks that were career salespeople, people that their first job out of college was a sales job. Uh, so I learned a ton from that. And and I, I lost a lot of deals there too. Uh, so I, it, it was quite a quite of an experience, and then I had the opportunity to join Microsoft from there. Well, you talk about soft choice. I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but the yep. the things that most people don't understand that haven't had that opportunity. And I've, I've seen I've seen some real lucky people work go from college to Microsoft, right, or college to Dell Technologies or Dell EMC, and you know they don't what they don't what they don't understand is all the things that are going on behind the scenes like really and truly how how does dell design a laptop that gets built somewhere that ultimately has to be stored somewhere and configured and then land in a customer site for someone to actually consume and use and then the warranties and all i mean Mm -hmm. there's so many things that from training and repair and dissolving nowadays of those machines and doing it an eco-friendly way and there's, you know, the supply chain from memory chip to recycling is there's so many people involved in that. And customers really do care for about 85% of that. Yeah. Um, and the life cycle is a big, big deal. And that laptop, like we've talked about, is one of 1,000 things that customers need from an IT perspective. So I, I think that we both did work at Microsoft, but my time working with the soft choice companies of the world CDW, SoftChoice, Spectra, which became Insight, you know, all those companies SHI, yep. carrying, yeah, the balls from start to finish and, and to me trying to get to buy their time or them to buy into using their time to sell my stuff taught me a lot but that I, I'm you're always selling. You're always asking for something from yeah. someone. Yeah. And the lessons that you learn aren't just about closing a deal. They truly are about partnering and how do I give and get and win together and make it a win-win? The, the person that wins more than the other guy, they're not going to be successful for long. They might look real good mm-hmm. on that one deal, but, man, all my losses probably have to do with some sort of not partnering or not creating that win-win that I should have created. So we'll dive deep into those wins and losses uh, in your reseller world and in my VAR world that – people need to understand that the the world that we're in today is very similar to those worlds we might not warehouse products the same we used to or whatever but the the transactional chain through all that's very similar 
and it can it, maybe you love where you work today. Maybe you're in maybe you work for one of these types of companies, right? And you love it. And you're not looking to move, but some of you are looking at it and say, I, I think I am ready to move. We could talk about our move, how how we made the move to to Microsoft, um, because if you do it right, you partner right, it could turn into an incredible opportunity for you as well. And maybe look like maybe your love where you're at. I'm not trying to say I'm not trying to suggest this is uh, this is not a good place to land and stay. There are there are reps at CDW and SHI that make a ton of money and live a great life lifestyle, and they're going to retire there, and then that's wonderful. There are some folks that want to go work for a big company with 100,000 employees too. So there are, are good options from this. We can talk about how we made the move. And we've said it before, but those relationships transcend. And mm-hmm. we're, uh, we're, I think we're five or six days, five days away from our own Microsoft reunion, if all things go well and weather holds, that mm-hmm. we're going to reunite with a bunch of our old friends and colleagues that we worked with. And there's a lot of people doing different things, and there's a lot of people doing similar things at similar companies. But... Um, we, we all have a different story and a different path and you don't have to do the, the one that you think you have to do. There's going to be a lot you're going to learn in the next few weeks on how to take all the knowledge you get from these wins and losses and, and decide where and how you want your career to be, be groomed for your future. And with that, Bobby, we'll go ahead and wrap up. Thanks everyone for listening. Check us out at techcellsshow.com. Also check out Tech Sales Lab. Let's say that you, uh, you aspire to kind of up your game and you want to know how to read a 10K. Uh, it's 10 bucks, 9.99. it's a video. Uh, 30 minutes again, you can uh, get all the kind of sales tips on how you draw good information for chasing a sales pursuit or finding a new opportunity in an account that, that's meaningful to you. Let's say you're a first-time manager and you want to you wanna get trained up or you're, you want to become a first-time manager. There's some great stuff out there on Masters. That's techsaleslab.com. And I'll throw out, if you happen to be a sales manager already and want to buy uh, a, a lot of those classes for your sales team, like the 10K course, uh, shoot us a note at info at com, and we'll talk to our partners at Tech Sales Lab and see if we can't get you a promo code to save you some money. With that, average is the enemy. Average sucks. Don't be average. Thanks for listening to the Tech Sales Show. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Tech Sales Show. Subscribe to our email list at www.techsaleshow.com and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Tech Sales Show. Until next week, average is the enemy.